Tuberculosis in Long-Term Care Facilities, a conversation with Liz Dauk. This webinar included a visual PowerPoint presentation. To watch a video recording of this episode, visit qualityinsights.org slash qin slash multimedia. You can also find the link in the description of this podcast. Good afternoon, and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19-related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who is interested to attend. Today, we will be talking about tuberculosis in long-term care facilities. My name is Kathy Caudill. I'm a communication specialist with Quality Insights, and now I would like to introduce our guest today, Liz Dauk. Liz is the Corporate Infection Preventionist with Stonerise Healthcare, which consists of 17 centers, home health, and hospices services in West Virginia. Liz has been a registered nurse for 20 years, with the last seven working as an infection preventionist in long-term care and hospital settings. She is certified in infection prevention and control by the Certification Board of Infection Control, and she has participated in the development of the new long-term care IP certification. So Liz, welcome and thank you for joining us today to talk about tuberculosis. Thank you guys for having me. I know a lot of you are probably saying, oh my gosh, we're going to talk about tuberculosis. How old is tuberculosis? What really can we learn more about tuberculosis? So I'm going to try and answer some of your questions today and hopefully educate you on things that you don't know about with tuberculosis and imagine that it's going to be on the regulation side of the world instead of the actual disease. So um, if you want to go ahead and pull up the PowerPoint, we will get this camera off of me. All right, so this is just my title page, uh, TB and long-term care, and it's our focus is going to be on the T, uh, TB annual risk assessment. Always have to give the general overview, um, what are we talking about, and for those of you that may not know, TB, which is also known as mycobacterium tuberculosis, is a bacteria that can cause tuberculosis or other disease infection in your body. We know it as the pulmonary disease, um, but it can also be in different organs in your body. There's two different types of TB. There's latent and then there's an active disease. The latent is where it lays dormant in your body and doesn't cause you any problems. Your body is able to keep it at bay. So you don't have any symptoms. You don't feel sick. It's not contagious at that point. Um, however, if you were to start becoming immunocompromised, then it could become active. TB disease is active TB disease, and it's characterized by a bad cough that lasts three weeks or longer. You can have chest pain. You could cough up blood or have bloody sputum. Weakness and fatigue, weight loss, no appetite, chills, fever, sweating at night, and it is contagious. We think, I think a lot of us think of TB as an old disease that isn't around anymore because it's not in our, necessarily in our faces, in our communities. We don't hear a lot about it. However, the CDC and the WHO and everyone is still tracking it. And they have seen, was seeing a very steady decline up until uh, 2019 to 20, and they saw it bottom out to a certain degree. And then in 21, it came back a little bit, 
but it's still the decline in the case numbers they think is totally due to people not being diagnosed or being treated for TB. They think that there's a lot of undiagnosed cases out there and that COVID has a lot to do with that. When you think about a lot of people are running out there with tuberculosis, we got to think what, what does that do to our population? So our population risk factors are most of our uh, residents are over the age of 65. And that is where the highest tuberculosis rates in adults are found. It says that approximately 90% of cases among older adults are from reactivation of latent infection due to increased susceptibility or comorbidity. So like I was explaining when I was telling you what, you know, the two types of tuberculosis are, when you have latent, you don't know you have it. You, you don't have any symptoms, you're not sick, you're fine. And then whenever you start becoming weakened or immunocompromised, which is what happens when we become older, it's a natural, we start having, you know, more health problems, then the increased susceptibility and the comorbidity kicks in. And then all of a sudden the TB shows its ugly head and we're already in a congregated setting. So therefore you have exposure throughout your facility. So what do we do? to keep this from happening? How do we stay on top of it? As an infection preventionist, my job, I always say is to prevent infection. I really don't like the treatment side of it because of all the other complications that can come from it. So we want to decrease the risk of exposure to tuberculosis. So in the words of think, test, and treat is what we want to teach our staff. When you have somebody who is not uh, improving from a respiratory infection. And, you know, we should always have that TB in the back of our mind. You know, when COVID came out, they told everybody that, you know, usually you think when you hear a, a herd of horses come in or something, you think horses, but you should always be looking for the zebra with COVID. And that's kind of not as dramatic that we're thinking of tuberculosis, but it should always be lingering in our head. And then other words that we use are early detection, recognition, and treatment, which basically mean the same thing. So in long-term care, we complete an annual TB risk assessment. We screen our employees and patients that are at risk for TB, which is all of us because of the congregate setting and for being healthcare workers. And then we provide TB education for our employees, patients, and families. So if you're wondering how do we know what we're supposed to do for tuberculosis? The CDC has done a wonderful thing. They put out CDC train, which is an infection prevention training for our population. If you haven't done CDC train, regardless if you're infection preventionist or not, I believe you should do it. It gives you a huge insight to what an infection preventionist world is like and what they should be doing in your centers and what you should be aware of again, for that word of prevention. At the state level, TB screening and testing is always recommended as part of a TB infection control plan. It generally is a state regulation. And I believe I was told that this is Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And so you do have a state TB control program. Generally, you'll see they say, call your local health department and in my experience, local health department doesn't really have information on the TB program. So you'll want to go resource your state. I do know that a lot of the tuberculosis information, the most current that you might find is 2019. Um, a lot of it you will see from 2005 and such. So don't think, oh, there's got to be something else out here. It's not. 
And if you do, please send it to me. OSHA, OSHA has their regulations in it. Um, we have the uh, respiratory protection programs, written standards, and the TB control plans that we have to have. Um, this, that is a subject for a whole nother day or two. So, but I just wanted to make sure that I put this in here that you're aware that there are, are OSHA requirements with tuberculosis that we need to be following. And then of course there's CMS guidance. So I kind of went through and quickly just put on here a whole gob of information. The regulation 483.7E facility assessment, which is actually the FTAG 838, you can see it tells you that you need to have a community-based risk assessment. So inside of that community-based risk assessment, it also includes the risk of infections. So you need to have an, a facility infection risk assessment. And then you also need to have a risk assessment for assessing for risk of tuberculosis based on your regional community data and uh, the screening of staff. So what they do is they want you to have a annual tuberculosis risk assessment based off of your community's numbers in order to identify what your risk level is and the tiers of uh, prevention administrative controls you would put in place in order to combat tuberculosis. So then also 483.8, which we all know, F880 tags um, for infection control, that um, the bottom line is that we have to have policies and a program that um, help prevent the development and transmission of communicable diseases and infections. So I was telling you 2005 was guidance for TB, and it is. Um, this is actually the link to the annual TB risk assessment. In this document, you will find the forms, you'll find the uh, education, you'll find out the who, what, why, where, and when. It'll give you all the instructions that you need. You can actually print right off of it and go through and complete your risk assessment. In our centers, I tried to develop that Every day, every year on March 24th, which is actually World Tuberculosis Day, that we do this TB risk assessment, our annual TB risk assessment. And the reason being is that they do, they do not release the national rates until this day. So if you're trying to do your TB risk assessment in 2022 for the year of 2021, you can't complete it technically until after March 24th because they don't publish the national number. You can call your state epidemiologist office and they can give you your state numbers, your county numbers, your those numbers, but they can't give you a national number. TB World Day actually signifies the day that the tuberculosis bacteria was discovered and it opened the doors to being able to treat and cure TB. So they celebrate this, they recognize it every, every year to raise awareness about TB and that it's still out there. So this is a picture of the actual risk assessment. Um, it's Appendix B and it's the incidence of TB. You'll see there, it explains to you what it is on the left and then they want what your numbers would go on the right. So your community rate, and it tells you the incidence of TB in your community, which is the county or region served by the healthcare setting, and then your state, national, and your facility rate. And it gives you it gives you the definitions to the left. If you need to break it down by departments, you can do that here. If you don't, you don't have to put anything in. 
you would continue to answer the questions and go down to the risk classification um, section. However, I'm going to go to the next slide and talk about the instance of TB and these rates. So I showed you where you would get your state numbers from your state EPI. You can run, you know, a West Virginia or Pennsylvania statistics, but to me, it's much easier to call the state EPI of the TB program and say, do you have our numbers? They'll give them to you. And you can see here that I have West Virginia's. These were our county numbers for 2021. And then I put the national numbers on top for reference. This is where the 2021 national number and additional information about the 2021 tuberculosis um, would be found through the CDC. So I went ahead and just threw some numbers together. Um, we all like to look at numbers and rates and try to figure out what's going on. Um, does anybody see a trend? Do you see a trend in, in between the states and the numbers? So West Virginia is 0.39, Pennsylvania is 1.28 for the TB instance of 2021. There's a pretty big difference in those numbers, correct? I mean, if you, if you look at it like actual variable reasons. When you go down and look at Alaska, it's 7.92. Hawaii is 7.35. California, 4.46. New York, 3.43. Look at Montana. It's 0.27. So if you start looking at these numbers in this incident rate and you start thinking, why is there such a big difference between these states? When you look at Alaska and Hawaii, um, California, even New York to a certain degree, your population is denser. You have a lot, a larger population. You have more travel. You have um, probably more homelessness. You might have, you have more risk factors. Whereas in Montana, you have less of a population, you have less of the risk factor. So when you start looking at all of what are the risk factors for tuberculosis and you're like close quarters, um, you know, people from other countries, as far as, you know, that it's endemic or whatever, then you start, you can kind of put these numbers together with, to me, it was like an, oh, and oh yeah, that's why they made a correlation, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I'll get that out of my mouth eventually. Anyway, that's just what I wanted to point out. And the other thing too, is that you could look at it and say, well, maybe West Virginia and Montana don't have the resources as these other more populated places. They don't have people looking for tuberculosis. They, they have rural health that isn't looking for these. So um, I had mentioned earlier that we would go to the actual risk classification. Um, You'll notice I have highlighted here, it's non-traditional facility-based settings. That's what long-term care is actually categorized as. We're not inpatient um, or outpatient setting. We're a non-traditional facility-based setting. And if you'll go to the next slide, I put exactly where you can find that at. And it says it right there in the yellow half circle box. When you look at your setting, which over here outpatient, I said it wasn't outpatient, but outpatient and non-traditional facility-based. If you're less than three TB patients a year, then you're considered low risk. If you're greater than three or equal to, you're considered a medium risk. And anything that's a potential ongoing transmission, like it's an outbreak, that's what that category is for. And then when you're identified into your risk, 
this tells you if you're low risk, then your need for testing and your frequency of testing. So a low risk should be used for settings in which persons with TB disease are not expected to be encountered. And then exposure to TB in these settings is unlikely and further testing is not needed unless exposure has occurred. So, and then you'll see for medium risk, and then if you're in outbreak status, what you should actually be doing for your testing. Um, in 2019, I mentioned earlier, there was an update. And so they came out, the CDC updated the tuberculosis guidelines for healthcare personnel. This is a summary of the recommendation changes. We now need to do an individual TB risk assessment. And I'm just gonna highlight the changes here. There was no um, changes to the post-exposure screening and testing section. The serial screening and testing for healthcare personnel without latent TB infection, it says that it's not routinely recommended because when I was started in nursing, we had to get a PPD every year. And that is no longer recommended if you're in low risk and for healthcare professionals, unless they have had been exposed. And then, like I said, including information about TB exposure risk for all healthcare personnel um, for the screening and the risk assessment. Sorry, I probably just butchered that one. Evaluation and treatment of positive test results and the new guidance is that treatment is encouraged for all HCP with untreated LTBI unless medically contraindicated before it just said that referral to determine if somebody needed to have treatment. This is infographics from the CDC about healthcare personnel and the new changes from 2019 to get it out there that we don't have to test every year and what we do need to do. Uh, these are available online. You can print them. And then this just breaks it down further. There's only three questions for a risk assessment. And those do in, include if you were in a temporary or permanent residence for greater than or equal to a month in a country with a high TB rate, if there was current or unplanned immunosuppression, and then if you've had close contact with someone who had infectious TB since the last TB test. This is actually mine that I developed, and you also have to do a symptom check. So you want to do a symptom screen and then a risk factor, and then you need to um, do a TB test for new hires or anybody who has had exposure. And then if people, of course, you would play um, put into effect if people who had a history of a positive PPD or um, allergic to or whichever. All right. If you want to contact Liz directly, you can email her at lizdauk at stonerise.com. That's L-I-Z dot D-A-U-C-H at stonerise.com. You can check out our other interviews by visiting qualityinsights.org slash Q-I-N slash multimedia. Liz, I would like to give a special thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You guys have a blessed evening.